roses are red, violets are blue, honey is sweet, and so are you. We've all heard a variation of this cliché poem at one point or another. For some of us, this is the extent of our familiarity with poetry. Sure, many of us have read some of Shakespeare's sonnets. Even back in high school, I learned about famous poets like William Butler Yeats, Edgar Allan Poe, and a little bit about Emily Dickinson, which is why it comes as no surprise that many Latinos, myself included, associate poetry with dusty, leather-bound books and old-timey white people. I've always wanted to try being someone who enjoys reading poetry all afternoon while sitting next to a fire and sipping on some tea, but it just hasn't happened yet. Could it be because my high school teachers never taught about Latino poets like Pablo Neruda, Gabriela Mistral, or Octavio Paz? So I never saw myself in the poetry demographic. Or maybe because my college professor never assigned us to read works of badass women like Rosario Castellanos or Juan Inés de la Cruz. Is it possible that many of us are stuck with the idea that poetry is boring or hard to understand? As I found out in this episode, poetry doesn't have to be dull or sound old. Join me as we enjoy a Poetry 101 refresher and enlightening reading from a Latino poet you definitely didn't learn about in history class. You're listening to the Pulsa Podcast. We'll be right back. Numbers count when it comes to blood cancer. Did you know the blood cancer survival rates are 3% lower for Black patients and 2% lower for Latino patients than for white patients? The Leukemia and Lymphoma Society aims to change those stats by empowering communities with free access to blood cancer information, resources, education, and support. If you or your family are coping with blood cancer, call LLS today at 1-800-955-4572 or visit lls.org to learn more. About a month ago, I was feeling uninspired until my fellow producer, Charlie Garcia, convinced me to read a little poetry. He thought a specific Latino poet could help me get my inspiration back. Ugh, poetry, I replied, rolling my eyes, picturing something too abstract and confusing to possibly be enjoyable. Nevertheless, I followed Charlie's advice and decided to give the poet Gabriel Dosal and his new book a shot. I was halfway through it before I realized nothing about Gabriel Dosal's work was giving off poetry vibes. As a writer and poet who grew up on the U.S.-Mexico border in the town of El Paso, Texas, Gabriel's style blends the lines between what it means to be Mexican and American. Tell me, what kind of poet are you? I'm a border poet. He says plainly. I definitely like jokes and puns and wordplay and rhyming. Gabriel inherited a love for the arts from his father, Roberto, who was an art teacher for over 30 years. He was a remarkable art teacher, but he's also a remarkable artist. He can make an oil painting or an acrylic painting look just like a photo. Now, I cannot draw a lick. <laughs> I can't draw a line outside of a paper bag, but it's in me, this kind of like artistic expression. So I, I think I, I couldn't help but take that to poetry. As a grown-up, Gabriel realized he also had inherited his father's love for teaching others. And now he's a creative writing instructor at the University of Arizona, which is perfect for me because I really need some poetry lessons. Can you give us like a poetry one-on-one? -on -one? It's really line breaks. The, the way that the, the line can be shorter than in prose, than in fiction or nonfiction. That's the biggest difference. And how poets manipulate and change those line breaks is kind of what makes that art form for me. Now, of course, there's metaphors, there's language play, there's puns. Poetry doesn't have to rhyme. Of course it doesn't have to rhyme. But I also don't want to be afraid of rhyming either. I think a lot of writers, 
a lot of poets are afraid to rhyme, like as, as if it's some kind of old school thing. Artists shouldn't turn their back on what humans find attractive in art. And in poetry, it's repetition, it's rhyme. Would you say that a hip-hop artist is a poet, like someone who raps? 100%. 100%. Okay, now we're speaking my language. Of course music is poetry, especially hip-hop. Anyone familiar with Tupac's song Changes knows a good poet. I see no changes. All I see is racist faces. Misplaced hate makes disgrace to racist. Do you have any other music that you listen to that you would say kind of sounds poetic to you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, Leonard Cohen and Bob Dylan, that, that's wonderful cross-section of poetry and lyric. Then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone all the time. I'm jealous of musicians because you have music to back you up, to complement the words. In poetry, you don't have any of that music, so you have to create that musicality. Lyrics can be a little bit more vague. They can be very broad and still work and still hit with an audience. I think poetry has to be incredibly detailed, incredibly specific, and kind of enact that mind's eye, right? Like you close your eyes and you can see the image in your head. So are poems meant to be not straightforward? Are they meant to confuse you in some way? I've really tried to stay away from the theory language, critical theory type of language, because poetry is already a condensed and dense form. It is, it's already complex and it's built into the art form. But this is why I think it's interesting for our current moment for 2023. Poetry allows you to say multiple things at the same time. That's what the line break does. A quick poetry lesson, a poet can cut off language throughout the poem. Now, by doing that, you create your own idea, your own thought in one line, and then when it connects to the next line, it creates a second thought. So you're able to add layers of depth here, and you're able to say two, three, four things with one line or two lines of poetry. I think that's important to understand when, when reading poetry. In Gabriel's poetry, you can find all kinds of depth and meanings within the dystopian world he created in his book. It's like nothing I've ever read. A weird cross between life as a border crosser and the movie The Matrix. When I say weird, I mean that as a compliment, because Gabriel does a fantastic job recreating the vibe of the strange and confusing place that is the U.S.-Mexico border. I think it's evident that he's a fan of sci-fi and has seen The Matrix a few times. That is an amazing movie. I watched it recently. I hadn't seen it for like 20 years. It's one of the most powerful metaphors for our times. Blew my mind how good it still is. But I think in a way, in the book, you're Neo and you're Morpheus. Mm. You give yourself the red and blue pill and you decide as you read the book which one you're going to take. Because there's all kinds of trap doors in this book. And that's what poetry is very good at. And that's exactly how poetry works in my mind. It's always open to personal interpretation, like many movies or books out there. What I'm learning is that poetry is not something that we have to take so seriously, at least not always. I wanted there to be dark humor. The story that I'm trying to tell is actually quite simple. It's two siblings, Primitivo and Primitiva, which for, I mean, I, I, your Spanish-speaking uh, listeners will know that this is, you know, a, an older name. Yeah. Like, people aren't really called Primitivo or Primitiva yeah. anymore. But it has a type of power because it means firstborn. It's like the first one in the border simulator. Gabriel is also commenting on himself as a kid from the 1980s who vividly remembers what life before the internet and touchscreens was like. 
before social media completely changed our lives. I'm commenting on the fact that I've seen technology pass me by, change my world, and me having to play catch up. In the border simulator, Gabriel takes us on a journey from the perspective of two siblings trying to cross the border, navigating a strange world where most people wouldn't really want to go. And then there's a voice of customs who is kind of like the dark, evil enemy who's like <laughs> poking fun at them. And that was important, too, because I want there to be tension. At times, the poems are funny in an ironic kind of way. The one that stuck out to me is called There Are Plenty of Places Where the Border Doesn't Exist. I asked Gabriel to explain the backstory of it before reading it to us. What I'm trying to do is play with this idea of the simulation and play with what it's like for not just someone to cross the border, but what it's like for someone to live their life through a phone or through social media. So, for instance, there's a part where it says you see a cat and then you see it twice. One of the first things you see in the Matrix is like a cat and there's like, like a glitch and then the cat kind of comes through another time. Uh -huh. There's several voices here, right? So like in the poem, you'll hear me say customs and that means customs is speaking. Mm -hmm. Or when I say primitivo and I pause, that means primitivo is speaking. Uh -huh. So in here, customs is speaking about the border and the border simulator, which is on purpose a sort of a vague term. I do that on purpose so that the reader can imagine their own world. Okay, let's hear you read this one. Okay. There are plenty of places where the border doesn't exist. We are all post-host, I mean post-hoc crossers. We've already crossed, but we have to give the appearance that we are new here. Our crossing is driven by our passions, and sometimes our passions cross without us. The great variety of ports of entry is what gives the border its charm. Well, if effectiveness means charm, then yes. See how I just fit one word inside another? Anyone can sneak these words past. Customs. For most crossers, the border app is the border. The poem is supposed to glitch here and be aware of its sewing and its poorly seamed, bedazzled jeans. I know you are already aware of the glitches in the border simulator. You see a cat, and then you see it twice. You see Primitivo, and then you see Primitivo twice. We're going to A-B test this crosser. What words get less engagement from customs? How many times have you clicked on a photo of yourself? Primitivo. Our father, Halloween, and Texas. How should Primitiva play her hand? She tries to hide her hand with her other hand. One farm hand reveals the other. How many times have you clicked on yourself? Well, a picture of yourself, at least. Customs shows you a photo of you crossing the border. Is this you in the photo? It looks so much like you. It must be you. Primitiva was only interested in creepypasta stories about the border. But what was so creepy about the border simulator? It was creepy because of how quickly the definitions took refuge in the crossers. Collecting for so long, the language got so big that even me, Primitivo, could fit inside its words. My favorite word is residente. 
the combo of tooth and status, a ghost word, hidden in Primitiva, the guest host of the border simulator. See how I just fit one word inside another? Anyone can sneak these words past. All right. So what are you saying here? What's happening? I'm commenting on our current culture. I'm commenting on how language works, on how there's words hidden inside of words. I create words, right? Like residente. Residente is not a real word in Spanish. No. It's a combination of tooth and resident, right? And that's something that poetry is beautiful at doing. You know, poetry can say multiple things. I can bombard you with ideas, but hopefully I'm doing it in a fun way. There's also like stuff about journalism here. Like we're going to A-B test this crosser. A-B test is something that journalism does with headlines. They see which headline gets more engagement mm. and then they choose which headline they go with. I'm also playing with misheard language. From the border, you might hear a phrase in English and you're a Spanish speaker and then you, you, you mistranslate it. So for instance, there's a line that says, our father Halloween in Texas. That's supposed to be like, you know, like that, the, the prayer. Our father, hallowed be thy name. A few days after I listened to Gabriel read this poem, I went back and read it again on my own. And surprisingly, I made a new discovery in the line where he writes, The great variety of ports of entry is what gives the border its charm. Well, if effectiveness means charm, then yes. See how I just fit one word inside another? Anyone can sneak these words past. I realize that here, Gabriel uses the word charm to mean two opposite things. A pleasant one, which is charm, and the unpleasant one, which is harm, without the C. This blew my mind because I completely missed it the first time. Two words in one. That's the thing about poetry. It's like you discover something new each time you read it. Now I understand why people keep poetry books forever. It used to seem like a cliche to me, holding on to something that just sits and collects dust. But it doesn't. It actually expands each time you flip open the page. A new idea springs up and a new meaning unfolds. I asked Gabriel to break down another poem before reading it. The last poem of the book, it's called You've Always Been a Border Simulator. So talk a little bit about what it means. Yeah, I was trying to introduce readers to the world or trying to give readers more of like a foothold into the world. This is a tried and true trope about being from the border. You hear about this in the Selena movie where the dad is like, you have to know Mexican culture better than the Mexicans and you have to know American culture better than the Americans. You go to Mexico and your family tells you you're not Mexican, but you don't feel American 100%. So there's this feeling of not feeling real, but not feeling simulated. Mm. You feel like the place that you belong is the border. But I'm also trying to include ideas about technology, what it's like to experience the border through videos on YouTube, through video games. I'm also talking about the trials of anyone who comes to the border for a better life. All right, let's hear it. All right, here we go. You've always been a border simulator. Resident, never real or simulated And the crossers see that you're not real or simulated. And they're not sure if they are a mural of rural crossers. You simulate what a person with papers would say, would act like, so that you can cross over. Your accent is hard to understand. You have trouble saying your name, and you say it anyway. 
Customs are suspicious because you can't say your name. So, they take you in and make you paint murals of crossers at the border. The murals warn crossers of what might be waiting for them, the unswerving future, an eight-bit desert. All day you paint in the border simulator portraits of crossers, and their portrait is their face, covered by a phone. You paint murals of crossers going into the simulation. Their faces also covered by their phones, but you can see their eyes, and they're scared of crossing. You ask them to pretend there is water. They can only pretend there is water so long. After your service to the simulator, you practice traversing your words, or the simulation traverses you. This simulation isn't a question of fake or reality, but a performance of saying your name. If the simulation survives, you also survive, and you keep it alive by crossing. The simulation exists because you cross into it and you love the threshold. When you speak of the border simulator, you're really speaking about blank. How a dollar sign can open up a whole new world of crossing. You go to the front of the line. Customs asks you less questions. In simulation, you can pay off la policia. It's harder to do that in reality, but it's not the result you want. And the simulation is a results-based game. When you speak of the border simulator, you're really speaking about the X, where the two worlds meet. Nice. Okay. So I have a question. What is he painting or what are you painting here? When you're saying all day long you paint in the border simulator. So throughout the book, there's this made-up situation where as you cross the border, customs makes you paint portraits and murals of other crossers. Now, this is a completely made-up situation. This doesn't actually <laughs> exist. But I'm commenting on what it's like to be from the border and to be expected to write about the border, expected uh -huh. to create art about the border. I've wrestled with this my whole life. You get pigeonholed as a border writer. Mm. I've taken 100 creative writing classes. Every instructor says, you should write about the border. <laughs> you need to write about being Mexican-American. <laughs> Part of this book, Maribel, is me poking fun at that a little bit. The customs agents are constantly shifting. Yes, I'm talking about real customs and border patrol agents. Sometimes. Sometimes I'm talking about the powers that be that expect you to write about something. Mm. So it's kind of like a meta poem where I'm poking fun at that, where they're like, hey, paint murals about these crossers. Paint about them. Talk about them. I know that so many people feel that way. And exactly as you described, you are of this ethnicity, therefore you should only write about this ethnicity and your people and the things that you know and the places you come from. We're not allowed to explore beyond that, which is also why poetry in this scenario is so intriguing to me. I don't want to make a generalization, but I don't feel like poetry is something that we as Latinos are often encouraged to explore. So I asked Gabriel how we can make poetry more accessible and interesting to Latinos, while encouraging creators like me to write about things that go beyond personal experiences. It's something I wrestle with in myself, about being from the border, writing about the border. I'm embracing it and poking fun of it at the same time. 
This is something that poetry allows you to do uniquely. I can be of two minds of something because of those line breaks. I can say one thing and then I can break the line and say something else on that line. I want to make it as dynamic, as energetic, as readable, as accessible as possible, while still having a high art form, an art form that offers a lot of depth to the reader. I, I want to have it both ways, Monty Bell, and I know we can do it. <laughs> I love it. I'm down for it. <laughs> You can subscribe to the Pulsa Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend to give us a listen. Have questions or story ideas to send our way? Send us an email to info at projectpulsa.org. This episode was produced and written by me, Maribel Quesada-Smith. Edited by Jackie Nowak. Audio engineering and scoring by Julian Blackmore. The hosts of the Pulsa Podcast are Lisa Larcón and me, Maribel Quesada-Smith. Thanks for listening. Hey, Pulso fam. I want to tell you all about Atlas Lingue, a Studio Ochenta podcast about language, culture, and communication. Have you ever wondered what your cat is trying to tell you? Or how Disney Pixar writers craft stories that resonate across numerous languages? Atlas Lingue host Luis Lopez explores these topics and so much more. It's a show about the confusing, wonderful, and weird world of language, and this season, they're diving deep into the language of culture online. They're interviewing content creators from different countries who document their daily lives and cultural backgrounds on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram. New episodes air every other Monday wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also watch all the interviews on their YouTube channel at 80 Podcasts.